Good morning, Joy family, and anybody else listening on. This is Pastor Johnny, and we're going to be getting started here. I'm going to go ahead and start with prayer first, and then we'll jump into the sermon for the day. Lord God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for everybody who's listening to this sermon. Most importantly, Lord, I thank you for you, for your son, for your sacrifice, and for all that that means to us in our lives. I pray that right now, Lord, you would speak through me, allow me to get out of the way, and may the passion and, and love that you have in your heart, may it come through in this message. May the power that you have in your Holy Spirit come through in this message, and may you speak to each of our hearts, our minds, our souls, and our spirits, that we may hear your word, and not only hear it, but be doers of your word. We give you the praise, the honor, and the glory, our Lord, our Savior, and in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. So while I'm giving this little intro, go ahead and turn to uh, John 16, 5 through 13, the beginning of 13. John 16, 5 through 13. While you're opening that, um, I just wanted to explain that, you know, right now, more than ever, I don't need to convince you that this is a complex world that we live in, right? Um, things right now are happening that we never expected would happen in our lifetimes. And even for those of us that are much older, I've heard from many people much older that are saying that they've never seen things like this in their whole lifetime. And beyond just the dynamics that are happening now, people for centuries, for millennia, have been wondering about the complexities of the world, trying to understand it, asking questions, trying to figure things out. And one of those questions that comes up in people's minds is, in the midst of all this complexity, does, does God have a plan? Does God really have a plan? And if you have opened your Bible before, if you're a believer who have been walking, reading the Bible, you will know the answer to that, to that question. The answer is, without doubt, 100, 1 million percent, yes. God has a plan for you, for others, for the world. God is very, God's word is very clear about this. God has a plan. And I would take it a step further and say, not only does God have a plan, but God has a clear, clearly defined mission that he is intentional about completing. God has a mission. But I want to say to you and suggest to you as we get started that I believe that there is actually a missing link in God's plan, a missing link in God's mission. So it's for that reason that I've entitled this sermon, God's Mission, The Missing Link. So now let's open our books, our Bibles, forgive me, to John 16, 5 through 13. Now this 
text is taken from, um, as I said, John 16, which is where Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples the very night that he was betrayed by Judas. And he's talking to his disciples and he tells them this, but now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. So, um, just to clarify, the, the, the word helper here, depending on the translation you have, I'm reading from the ESV, um, English Standard Version. Depending on the translation you have, the word helper here is the word um, for Holy Spirit, speaking of the Holy Spirit, just to clarify that. So the Holy Spirit, as it says, will come to you and will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. So one of the subjects of this, this text is the convicting of the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And as I've suggested to you, that there is a missing link to God's mission, I want to break down a bit of the history of God's mission as it pertains to convicting the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment so that I can explain better this text and how it speaks to the same discussion. All right, so I'm going to go bring you through a history of God's mission as it pertains to sin, righteousness, and judgment. So we need to go all the way back to the beginning, at least the beginning of creation, to understand this. It started with, in the beginning with Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve chose to grab a hold of the fruit God told them not to eat from, and to take a bite. They disobeyed God, and there were consequences. In Genesis 2, it says that when they would eat of that fruit, that they would surely die, both ultimately physically, but spiritually as well. They, would also be, they, they uh, were also bound by sin due to this consequence, or as, as a consequence of their disobedience. They had punishment. They were punished, and part of that punishment was that they were banished from the Garden of Eden, but more importantly and more drastically, and the worst part of this all was they were banished from the presence of their Father, God, of, from our Father. So humanity could not, in, the, in, the, in, sin, in their sinfulness, could not exist in the presence of our Father, of our God, so they were banished. And God's mission from that point on has always been to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And you need to hear this very clearly. 
The reason for this is that God's intention has always been and still is to reconcile his children to himself and save them from sin and judgment. I'm going to say that again. Listen close. God has always been and still continues his mission of convicting the world of sin and righteousness and judgment in order to reconcile his created children to himself and save them from sin and ultimately from judgment, at least um, eternal judgment away from him in hell. So started with Adam and, Adam and Eve and moved on to Abraham. And if you remember the story of Abraham, one story that many people remember is the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. And if you, if you recall, God went to Abraham with the angels and he explained to them, I'm sorry, explained to Abraham what he was planning to do with Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah, as you recall, was a town, a village, a place that was just flooded with sin and disgusting acts of sinfulness. And God went to Abraham. And in fact, in Genesis 18, we hear, we read in verse 17, God say to the other angels he's with, he says, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Speaking of Sodom and Gomorrah, says Abraham will surely become a great powerful nation and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him, listen to this, so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. So God did tell him what he was going to do to Sodom and Gomorrah, and he did it to clarify to him and to convict him and his descendants of sin, righteousness, and judgment. So for sake of time, we move on. We move on to Moses. And if you, if you're, if you know Moses, if you know the Bible, you know he was key, a key figure in God convicting the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. This is true that of the Ten Commandments, right? He gave those to Moses to give to Israel, to ultimately give to the world. Things they were to do and not to do. Also, God gave to Moses the sacrificial system. And the sacrificial system, um, where they would kill animals to atone, to cleanse people from their sins, was to highlight the seriousness, the complete seriousness of sin, and highlight the need for humanity to be cleansed from that sin in order to be righteous and in order to not be judged negatively. So sin is cleansed by blood. It was demonstrated through the sacrificial system, right? Hebrews 9.22 says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. But the sacrificial system where they, they sacrificed animals was temporary, right? You, 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 you sacrificed an animal, shed their blood for the forgiveness, the cleansing of sin, but what happens the next time you sin? You need to be cleansed. It needs to be cleansed again. So you sacrifice. And this was ceremonially would happen all the time. Um, so it was a temporary way of purifying, not 
something that lasted, not something that was once and for all. But nonetheless, as I expressed, God used this to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Moving on, we, we get to Israel. Israel was considered a, the people of God, and their mission was to be a unique people, a people peculiar, meaning that they were not like other people, and that they were supposed to stand out as this righteous people among a, a people of light in the midst of darkness, to stand out as a, a city on a hill shining so that the world could see what righteousness should be and then calling people to do the same. But we know they failed. They failed both because of their sin, their outright sinfulness, and also religiosity and legalism that they got bound in. So we move on to the next people that God used, the prophets. We can read of, of, their, of what they did in God's word, but they, they ultimately were to warn Israel and, and the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment to convict them. And then we get to Jesus, the apex, you could say, of God convicting the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. He, Jesus ultimately fulfilled everything that Israel could never fully do and so much more, right? If we break down this, this concept that's in the text of sin, righteousness, and judgment, Jesus paid, the, uh, paid for our sin, paid the debt for our sin. The purity of his lifeblood, his blood, poured out on the cross, cross, cleansed us and cleanses us from our sin. And from his death and resurrection, he gave us victory over sin and death as well. In regards to righteousness, he modeled righteousness for us, right living, right relating with people, um, but also made us righteous and holy before God because we could never be good enough. His blood cleansed us and purifies us and makes us holy to be able to, to have a relationship with God, to, for us to be ultimately in the presence of God. So he made a way for us in regards to righteousness. And then in regards to judgment, in his life, he warned about judgment. He warned of hell. And he explained that those who don't follow him, who don't respond to his love, to God's love and, and to, to his sacrifice, that they will be judged in like fashion, as verse 11 of our text today says, as the ruler of this world was judged. And he gives us another way of, in regards to judgment. For those who believe and respond, they can have eternal life in Christ. They will be judged righteous through the blood of Christ. So Jesus convicted and cleansed the world of sin and judgment. Now um, we, get we come full circle 
as we come back to our text talking about the helper. As I mentioned, the text that says helper, where it says helper here is speaking of the Holy Spirit. So the next figure, the next person that we're going to talk to about God sending them to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment is the Holy Spirit. Verse 7, if you want to read along with me, verse 7 says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go, that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. So God's spirit, Christ's spirit, the Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. So if you take a step back and look at this at first glance, it seems you, you could almost step back and say that the mission is complete, that Jesus came, died for the sin of humanity, and that the Holy Spirit is now going into the world and convicting the world of, of sin, righteousness, and judgment. So God is all-powerful. He's unleashed on the world. So we can just sit back and trust God to complete the mission that he started, right? Well, I don't think that that's the full equation here. I don't think that that covers all the bases. Though that is what many, many Christians do, many believers, and, and I can't rule myself out there, I, I am far from perfect, um, just like any other believer, but we definitely can't just sit back. And that's where I, wh what I'm trying to say when I believe that this passage reveals the missing link when it comes to God's mission to reconcile the world to himself. It's the missing link is almost hidden in this text because if you're like me, esteeming the Holy Spirit, being that he is God, when I read this text, I, I focus on the, the, the words that when he comes, the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. So my, all of my attention gets put on the Holy Spirit and his role in this. But if we look to verses 7, and then I'm going to jump to verse 13 after that. But if we look at verses 7 and 13, I believe that this reveals the missing link to God's mission. Verse 7, Jesus says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, listen, listen closely, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And then verse 13 says, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. So these texts are not saying that the Holy Spirit, that God is, Jesus is sending the Holy Spirit to the world to, to dwell within non-believers to convict them. And he's not saying to the, the, the disciples that when the Holy Spirit comes, that they will guide non-believers into all truth. 
but they will that the Holy Spirit will guide disciples of Christ like ourselves into all truth and will come to us. The missing link that I want to pose to you in regards to God's mission of reconciliation is you. It's me. It's us, believers, followers of Christ. We are the missing link to the world being convicted of sin, righteousness, and judgment and ultimately being reconciled to the Father. Yes, the text is clear. The Holy Spirit convicts the world, but he chooses to do so through you, through me, through us. Now, I, I don't want to put the Holy Spirit in a box. Don't get me wrong. The Holy Spirit can do as he pleases. <laughs> but for some reason, God, instead of just doing everything himself, has chosen to co-labor with us, to work with us, for us to work alongside him. In fact, the Holy Spirit, I'm sorry, the word helper, parakletas, for the Holy Spirit, that word specifically um, can be translated as one who comes alongside. So God has chosen to come alongside us as we do the work that he's called us to. So the Holy Spirit is sent to us in order to convict through us. The Holy Spirit is sent to us in order to convict the world through us. So we are the missing link in God's mission. And our mission is God's mission. We are messengers. We are messengers of the good news, or could I say the best news of Jesus. We are the missing link. And, and if, if this is harsh in any way for you to hear that, that I'm suggesting that we are the missing link or that you might be, um, and I realize, don't get me wrong, that there are a lot of you that, that are hardcore evangelists. So not everybody is missing the boat. Not everybody's a missing link. But I'm just trying to say in general that there is often a missing link. And if you don't believe me, let's look at the word of God. Luke 10.2 says, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. There are far too few laborers declaring the mission of God, declaring the good news of reconciliation to the world. And beyond that, um, Romans 10, 13 through 15 is also a very powerful verse or a few verses. I'm going to read them to you. Romans 10, 13 through 15. I'm going to read from the New, New Living Translation. It just articulates it very well says like this, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And listen carefully now. It goes on to say, And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? Verse 15, that is why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet 
of the messengers who bring the good news. How beautiful are the feet. So, God sent Abraham to convict the world, to reconcile the world to himself. God sent Moses to do the same. God sent Israel. God sent the prophets. God ultimately sent Jesus to not only proclaim it, but to fulfill it. And then he sent the Holy Spirit to live inside of you and to live inside of me. And then he placed us exactly where he wanted us in the world for such a time as this to do the same thing as this long line of legendary people. We just, we just uh, the, the list we just declared we are in that line of people sent to convict the world, sent to declare the good news that convicts the world. And you, the, the reality of it is, is that Abraham is, is not around anymore. He's not walking the earth. He's in heaven. Moses is not around anymore. The prophets, at least those of the Bible, are not around. Jesus Though he lives inside of the believer, he's not walking around as he did in the first century. And the Holy Spirit, the way God chooses to use him to convict the world, is to do so through us. So, so you are, I want you to hear this, brothers and sisters, you are, I am, you are God's primary voice right now in your context and in this world God chooses to, to use you, me, to use us to fulfill his mission. But praise God that we're not alone. The text is clear on that, that the Holy Spirit is with us. We are co-laborers with him. But also, we are part of Christ's body. All believers, as we read in the Bible, are considered part of Christ's body. We are in, we, as he exists in us, lives in us, and as we function as a team, a body together, we are sent to fulfill God's mission. So we are not alone. We have the Holy Spirit in one another to help us in this, in this mission. We are called to continue Jesus' mission as, as uh, Mark uh, we read in Mark 16, 15, Jesus said to the disciples, and he says to us, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. So as I said, God is on mission and we are on mission. Joy, Christian Center, is on mission. As I've said since I got to uh, here in January, the, or the end of December, that we are a missional church, a church on mission, ready and, and, and um, called to spread the good news, to co-labor with God, to convict, for God to convict, reconcile, and save those around us. This is a, a mission more important than anything else that we are a part of. 
the mission to, de- to declare that Jesus, to declare Jesus and allow conviction to turn hearts to him. So as you think about this, I want you to understand that, that you, as a believer, you, as one who is indwelled with the Holy Spirit and part of a bit greater body of believers at Joy Christian Center or wherever, whatever church you're part of, that you hold in your hands the good news that everyone needs to hear the good news, the great news of Jesus Christ. You hold in your hands hope to offer to a hopeless world. You hold in your hands light in the midst of darkness. You hold in your hands life in a world that is dying spiritually. You hold peace where people are bound by fear and you hold freedom, the the message of freedom in a world held captive by sin, by the enemy, by themselves and by the world around them. We have the words of life living in us. Living water flows from our lips as we declare the good news of Jesus Christ. So how are you going to respond? I mean, many of us believers, we, we've heard this before in our responses to going back and doing the same things we're always doing. Maybe sprinkling a little of Jesus on our day-to-day life, the things we like to do on a daily basis, but not really thinking, God, what is your call in my life? What Ministry, do you want me to be a part of in order to do a be more effective, more efficient in proclaiming your good news and fulfilling your mission on earth? So God's calling for people to step up to his mission. And I want to ask you, what is your answer? How do you respond? to God's call, to Jesus' call? Are you going to go back to the normal? And, and again, maybe, maybe you're doing plenty, so I, I'm not here to convict. <laughs> uh, I'm not here to, to put a heavy weight on somebody. Jesus' burden is light. But I just want to encourage all of us to step up and to step forward and to do like Isaiah did when he was confronted with God and to say, here I am, Lord God, send me. I am willing, send me. And if that is you right now, if you're not already asking the question, you might later on, the question, how does this, what does this mean for me practically speaking? Well, one way, one thing we can do right away, where it says in Luke 10, 2, 
The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. It goes on to say, therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. So I want to encourage you, pray, pray earnestly for the world, for your church, for Joy Christian Center, for everybody, including your pastor, that we would step forward into this call and step forward into the world outside of our four walls to live and speak Christ, to live Jesus and speak Jesus in our daily life. And that's the next thing, the next practical thing. We just live. The next thing we do is we just live our lives, but we live them for Jesus. We live them growing in Jesus and and letting the outflow of that be demonstrated through our lives, our actions, and the words we speak. Bragging, as I've said before, bragging about the God that we serve, about the things that Jesus has done for us to save us. And of course, I want to be very clear, in this world where people so often are negative towards Christianity, and many people don't want to hear the gospel, I'm not telling you to force the gospel down people's throats or to make people dislike Christians because um, of an just overly forward, um, pushy vibe. I, I would encourage be strategic and wise and sensitive. Not everybody, you know, be sensitive to the spirits leading you in regards to how you declare the good news to people. But nonetheless, always be prepared, as the God's Word tells us, to be ready to give an account for the hope that you have within you that is Jesus. So beyond our daily routines, our daily life, what else can we do? How else can we engage in evangelism and service? So here's where I want to encourage you all. I want to tell you, be creative. Use your giftings. Use your, your passions. Allow God to guide you into creative ways of engaging the world with his good news. Be creative. Even if you're bound by the coronavirus, or bound by health issues, by chronic illness, there is a place and a mission for you as well. You are on this mission as well through online evangelism, through social media, through phone calls, through whatever creative idea you can come up with, sending postcards, mailing letters, whatever it may be that you feel God is placing on your heart. It doesn't have to be difficult or complicated. Um, just a quick story. My, my dad, if you have met him, you'll know that he's one of the nicest guys around, loving, caring. Um, and he's always been a loving guy, a caring guy. But the truth is that he hasn't always lived his life for God. He hasn't always been obedient to God's um, guidance in his life. And 
even though that's the case, it was in his early 60s that he started going to church. Finally, he hadn't gone consistent, consistently since he was, I think, uh, younger than 13 years old. And one Father's Day, I went with him to his church just to celebrate him and, and, and c- encourage him. And I remember after service, I said, hey, Dad, what do you want to do for Father's Day? Um, and he said, I, I gave him some ideas. And he said, no, I don't really want to do that. And I was at a loss for ideas. And he said, actually, you know, what I've been doing lately is I've been going to the park, you know, going and buying a, a big Subway sandwich um, and going to the park and buying some Gatorade and giving out the, the sandwiches and the Gatorade to the homeless and praying for them. And that floored me. I immediately started tearing up because I wasn't doing that. I had been walking with God for nearly 20 years, uh, just under 20, and I wasn't doing that. But my, my dad, who had lived a life not following the ways of God, demonstrated for me, modeled for me, the simplicity of outreach, the simplicity of evangelism. And if you know my story, that was one of the catalysts that encouraged me and, and, and gave me the passion to start the ministry at the last church I was a part of, an outreach to a, a park ministry that ultimately ended up in, in a park church. We had church in the park every Sunday. And it started just with us simply bringing coffee and some snacks and saying, like my dad did, can we pray for you? So it doesn't have to be complicated. It doesn't have to be complex. And the last thing I want to say in regards to trying to encourage you in heeding the call that God has, has on your life is to, as you're being creative and thinking of ideas, do not wait for your pastor. <laughs> do not wait for your, the leadership of your church, the elders, to start something. Yes, of course, they, they, they will do their thing and, and, and as they feel led, they will start ministries. But ministries don't have to be started by leadership of churches, by pastors. The best ministries start when a person who's at a church like yourself has an idea, a passion, a longing, and you bring it to your pastor and you say, this is my idea. I would like to lead a ministry like this. Can I have your support? And I can tell you, I hope that if, if you're part of another church that your pastor supports you, but I can tell you as long as it's biblical from the heart and God is behind it, I will 100% support you. And I long for and look forward to the day when people step into my office or step um, or, or to give me a call and start asking what if they can engage in ministry ideas and start new ministries. So be creative, be bold, be, be willing to step forward. Let's answer God's call together. I know 100% I don't want to be a missing link in God's mission. And, I, <clears throat> and as pastor, 
of JCC, as, as one of the members of JCC and part of the family of JCC, I do not want us to, as a community, as a church, to be a missing link either. So let's dream together at JCC. Let's go outside of our four walls together, um, even if that just means through social media for now, um, during this, during the, this COVID-19 season, let's, let's serve together, let's love together, let's step forward into the power of the Holy Spirit and heed God's call together to share the good news of Christ and to allow the Holy Spirit to convict the world through us as is his chosen means to do so. May we all at JCC answer God's call and say, here I am as Isaiah did. Here I am, Lord, send me. May we as a community say, here we are, holy God. Send us, let us be part of your mission. Lord God, I... I am passionate about this message. I am excited to be a part of Joy Christian Center, part of a community that I believe highly values mission, highly values evangelism, highly values letting the world know about you, Lord Jesus. So I pray that you will, holy God, Enter into us each individually and, and as a body of believers, as joy. Come to us, Lord. Give us ideas. Give us wisdom of, of, of ministry options, of things to do that will be effective for your kingdom. Let us know the, the unique ministry engagement that you would like us to be a part of in our communities in Glendora or where we live, wherever it may be. May we be used by you so that the world will know your name, not just as a name they've heard of, but as a name that comes out of their mouth in praise as their Lord and Savior. We give you the praise, Holy Father. We give you the glory, Holy God. We give you the honor. King of kings, Lord of lords, Holy One, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now it's at this time that you know, it's the first Sunday of the month, and if you know Joy Christian Center rhythm, that is, it is Communion Sunday, the day we take communion together. And I know that this is not conventional, this is a bit unorthodox, but I did it last month, and, and I will lead again I'm going to right now lead us in communion. So I want to encourage you right now, if 
100%, if you don't feel comfortable taking communion by yourself or with your spouse or whoever you're with, your family, I want you to know that you do not have to, and I respect that. Um, we all come from different backgrounds. We all have a different perception of communion, um, and some believe it should only be done in the church. Um, and being that Jesus took it at a house, um, I see no problem with taking it at our homes. So if you're open to it, I want you right now to pause this recording. Go ahead and go grab yourself a little piece of bread for you and your whoever else is with you and a glass of grape juice if you have it, but it doesn't have to be. can be water, can be any other juice, um, can be soda for, you know, it, it really is not the specific element that matters, but what it represents that matters. It's what we are reminding ourselves of that matters. So go ahead and pause it right now and go grab it if you're comfortable. And then we're going to go ahead and I'm going to go ahead and lead us through communion right now. So now that you have the elements before you, I want to bless them as Jesus did. Lord, I pray your blessing upon the elements. As we take them in remembrance of you, I pray that they, that you will sanctify them for your glory to transform us internally, transform us um, as we remember them, as we remember you through them to be more like you and to use them as you would, would desire to use them in us, in our mind, in our body, in our spirit. We bless them, Jesus, as you blessed the elements the night you were betrayed. And it was, amen, and, and it was on the night that Jesus was betrayed that while they were eating, Jesus took the bread. Go ahead and take the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat. This is my body. Whenever you eat it, do it in remembrance of me. Go ahead and take and eat. Then Jesus, he then took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this. Whenever you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Let's drink together. Lord God, we thank you that you have, since the beginning of time, 
You have been on mission to convict the world, to convict us, humanity, of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Not to make us feel bad, not to punish us, but on the contrary, to reconcile us into relationship with you. To keep us from the ultimate judgment of being sent from your presence for eternity to hell, you have instead been on mission to reconcile us so that we can live eternally with you in heaven. So we thank you as we remember, as we take of the bread, remembering your broken body, and as we take of the cup, remembering your shed blood, We thank you for all that that means for us in our life, now and for eternity. That our sins have been covered, have been cleansed by the blood, by your blood, the pure and spotless sacrificial lamb. You have cleansed us. We are holy in you. And we are in debt to you. We give our lives to you. And we say, yes, here I am. Send me. Send us. May we be used by you mightily for your kingdom as ministers of reconciliation. And it is in your name We praise Lord Jesus and it is in your name we pray. Amen.